Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. I'm curious to know how everybody survived uh, April Fool's. Okay, so I have a quick story I want to share with you. I didn't survive April Fool's very well this year. But last year, I survived it really, really well. And last year, my friends reminded me of this, and this is probably why I didn't survive it well this year. I texted a whole bunch of our close friends and said, we've decided it's time to leave Lake Ridge. And uh, this big, long thing, and got them all freaked out and all worried, and I got a whole bunch of concerned texts back and all those kind of things, and then I totally forgot. This year, I totally forgot it was April Fool's, and I woke up at 7.30 in the morning to a for sale sign on my lawn (laughs) with my phone number on it (laughs) and the price that I was asking, and my phone started to ring at 7.31. Because at 7.30, one of my friends posted that I was moving and giving away all my tools and posted pictures of my tools and gave out my phone number. And the phone started ringing and ringing. By 8 o'clock, I had 18 calls before I figured out exactly who it was and called with a pretty, pretty direct message that they needed to take it down. Anyways... I am, if you saw an ad this week that I was giving away all my tools, I am not giving away all my tools. And I probably deserved it. However, I do have a shorter friends list right now. So there you go. It's a little bit of Hey, if you have been uh, with us over the last couple of weeks, uh, you'll know that we've been on a sermon series uh, called uh, Little Boat, Big Sea. And it has been a ser- sermon series where we've been essentially taking the stories of Jesus interacting with his disciples and others around and or on top of the Sea of Galilee. And, and we've been just unpacking these stories because, because they give us this incredible example of what the posture of Jesus was like. How did he interact with people? How did he walk among them? And I, I, I particularly am a huge fan of the ministry that Jesus did uh, in the Sea of Galilee because it was very simply him walking with people on the road and or on the sea. <laughs> and, and, and so we've, we've covered a bunch of different topics, and I kind of want to uh, just highlight them. The very first week, Preston talked a little bit about, about the disciples themselves and how they were called and why they were called and who they were, in, in a sense, that, that Jesus was gathering around him to do his life and ministry. That was the first week. Eric uh, shared, he, he Eric got kind of called upon at the last minute to share uh, because I ended up with COVID, and so he got to preach a, a message that he didn't have a lot of time to prepare for, and you would have never known it as he talked about how Jesus comes alongside people who were experiencing pain and who, who needed healing uh, in their life and story. In the last couple of weeks, um, we, we, we've talked about Jesus and Peter walking on water and essentially 
Jesus' desire to come out on the scene to be with and experience being with his disciples inside the boat. And last week we talked about Jesus' compassion and the way that he interacted and he healed people and then he, he and the disciples ultimately fed people. This morning, we're going to take a different story. It's a smaller story, and it is the story of Jesus calming the seas, calming the storm. And uh, as I kind of jump into this, I thought maybe I'd just give you a quick uh, geography lesson on the Sea of Galilee, what it was like, what it looked like, and some of those kind of things. So if you're a geog- geography, yes, I don't know why that word just left. If you're into geography, the Sea of Galilee is uh, about 13 kilometers wide, and it's about 21 kilometers long. So it's not a small, it's not a small lake. If in, in comparison, our, our awesome little lake is about a half a kilometer wide and about 4.8 kilometers long. So substantially different sized lake. Um, and, and I've been there. I've actually had the opportunity to travel to Israel a couple of times, Israel-Palestine a couple of times. And, and I've been there, and, and one of the observations, one of the days that we were there, we got to experience what it looked like when the wind really starts to blow uh, over the Sea of Galilee. And, it, and it, it really does start to blow quite quickly, and because on one side of the Sea of Galilee is the wilderness. It's, it's quite a desolate kind of a place. There's not a lot of trees, not a lot of any of those kind of things. And so the heat and the way that the temperature works is that, is that the winds actually can pick up very, very quickly, right? As the, as the heat rises off of the, the wilderness hot spaces and, and, and can create um, quite, quite big storms. And so like, like when I say big storms, I would just say like waves that, that, that can reach four to five feet in, in height. And if you remember, Pastor Preston shared a little bit about what it looked like to be in a first century boat. And the first century boats were, um, well, they were designed for how they could build them the best. They weren't necessarily designed to be the best boat to handle storms. And so so in a way, this was a little bit of kind of what what was going on in, in this story. I also want to point out that the majority of the towns uh, around the Sea of Galilee were actually... Uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They weren't actually on the Sea of Galilee. They were on the shore. So, so mostly, in most examples, the, the fishermen and those who were traveling by boat weren't necessarily traveling directly across the Sea of Galilee. They were typically just traveling along the shore. Part of the reason why Jesus, right, we shared a couple of weeks ago, is part of the reason why they, they followed, he got in a boat to go to a, to a solitary place, and they found him because he, the boat likely didn't leave that far from shore. And so they were able to continue to follow him. That is not the case in the story that we're going to look at today. The story that we look at today begins actually by Jesus getting into the boat and commanding them to cross to the other side. So they lit- legitimately were crossing from one side to the other side, approximately 13 kilometers across the Sea of Galilee. And what's interesting about that or, uh, is that it wasn't a common thing to necessarily to do in the boats that they had. Others followed them in other boats. So it wasn't just the disciples who were in the, the boat that they were in, but there were other boats around them as well. And then 
uh, each of the three gospel writers, John does not include this story in his, in his story, but the other three gospels each tell this story, a slight variation, which is, which is pretty typical when we read the gospels, but all of them are followed by Jesus, them coming to shore and Jesus um, casting out uh, uh, demons out of a, a particular uh, man. And, and so there's, there's an intentionality. So, so what I'm getting at is that when Jesus gets into the boat and he commands them to cross to the other side, he was doing that with a sense of, in, uh, 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 of purpose, a sense of in, intention. He, he knew that they would be taking a risk by doing that, but the risks outweighed what he saw was important. That's the, sec- that's the story which we're not going to cover, but it is the, the actual reason that they were crossing over to the other side. All right? So we're going to unpack a little bit of the story. I'm going to tell parts of the story, and then I'm gonna, we're going to take some pauses, and I'm hopefully going to point out some things that I think um, we, we could learn and we could grow from, from this. All right? So, so our story is going to pick up in verse 37, and, and it essentially the disciples have gotten into the boat, and they're out on the boat, and uh, Jesus has fallen asleep. Jesus has fallen asleep. And it says in verse 37 that a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat and so that they were nearly swamped. So they were nearly swamped. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus and Peter walking on the water. One of the things that I made sure to point out was that actually there was a storm that day, but that the disciples were not afraid of the storm. In that story, the disciples seemed to be quite comfortable with the weather and what was happening. They were more more terrified of the the ghost-like figure, which turned out to be Jesus, that came walking out to them on, on the water. That's when we see the disciples get scared in that story. However, in this story, in this story, there was a very different tone of what was taking place in the boat disciples and those that were there were quite afraid, right? And, and, and so they step out, and they begin to ask some big questions. And the first question that they ask in this particular story is they wake up Jesus and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Teacher, don't you care if we I'm going to talk about some questions, and and, and hopefully these questions maybe challenge you, but what we're seeing is the disciples are in a state of fear, okay? Hopefully we've established that. They were in a state of fear, and and sometimes I think we find ourselves in a state of fear. And one of the things about fear is that it often produces in us different kinds of questions. So my first question for you to think about and reflect on today is, what do you fear? What do you fear? Maybe if I was to word a little bit different, what do you work to avoid? What in your life and in your story do you work to avoid, right? What do you fear? What do you fear? And I want to push a little bit deeper, okay? I, I want to push a little bit past spiders and snakes, okay? That, that's, that's what I want you to hear is it's like, we, we could talk spiders and snakes all day, and I have a great snake story that 
scared the pastor right out of me, to be honest with you. A different guy showed up in that, in that story, right? But, but, but I want us to think about, well, what are the deeper things that we actually fear? That we actually are working hard and putting energy into avoiding. I got kind of a, a short list here of things. Right? So, so is vulnerability on that list? I think sometimes we fear vulnerability. Maybe chaos. Is, is chaos scary? Because that was happening also in this particular story. Right? Do you have any fears of, of not being significant or seen as a failure? Maybe there is a fear that you might not be noticed in a group of people or even just on the street that you live. Some of us are challenged and have fear of fear itself. Maybe a fear of the possibility of impending or experiencing pain in your future, in your story. Maybe it's a fear that you may never experience peace. Right? Maybe it's a fear of not having all of your questions answered. And I think that the list could go on. But I wanted to give you some, a sense of like, what are the things? Think about that. What are the things you fear? What are the things that you put energy into avoiding? It's a question that I hope that, that you're hearing. You see, in many ways, this boat, this little boat it, uh, filled with disciples in the middle of this storm represent our little boat with all of us in the boat. And it produces in us fears and things that we might be afraid of for each of us different things. Things that I fear are not necessarily the things that you fear. The things that I work at avoiding are not necessarily the things that you work at avoiding. And it it would it would do us some good to remind us and to remind ourselves of that. Even the people you drank coffee with or talked to while you were grabbing your coffee have a different set of fears that, that they're working through. It's not all the same. And yet one of the things that I think that they forget in this particular story is that even in the midst of all of those fears and in the representation of what is happening in this little boat filled with these disciples or maybe filled with some people from Lakewood is that Jesus was in the boat. That Jesus was present with them inside of the boat. And, and yet he was sleeping. And yet he was sleeping. Here's another question. Have you ever thought that maybe Jesus would fall asleep on your story? Have you ever come to a place where you felt like you were, you were in, in the storm and every life thing was crashing over the edge and you forgot? Maybe. Or maybe you were felt anger or resentment or frustration that Jesus was you know, sleeping? I have felt that way. I've felt that way even in the last couple of years, a few times. Right? And, and, and it, it is a real thing. I don't even know if it's a bad thing, but I definitely know that it is a human thing to forget that, that the creator of the universe 
is present in your story and in your journey. That he's present in your story or in your journey. Sometimes we forget. Occasionally we forget. Maybe we think he has fallen asleep. So here's the next question. How do you face your fear? How do you face your fear? How do you go about asking for God's intervention? What does that look like? Do you you get on your knees beside your bed? I've done that. Right? Do you do you do you call out to your 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 faith-based friends to talk about that? I've done that. Do you dig into the scriptures? Do you read the stories? Do you come to church? What are the things that you do to try to get God to intervene in the midst of your story, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of the things that you do? What is the way that you do it? Because you are doing it. You are doing it. How do we pay attention to the technique or the thing that we do? We all do it differently. We all put our energy into avoiding a lot of things. And I think sometimes we even put our energy into avoiding God altogether because it is easier to avoid God in the midst of these stories than it is to face the potential disappointment that he is in. So we walk away. We avoid God. Because to acknowledge that he is present is to acknowledge that he isn't giving us the answers that we want. And that can sometimes feel even worse. Anybody feel that way? Yeah, a few. All right. I think these are all important questions for us to ask each other. And I actually don't really like I've been tried to be very, very truthful when I have to preach or read something from Scripture that I don't like. I do not like how the disciples wake Jesus up. I don't like how they ask him for help. I'm going to read it again for you. This is how they ask him for They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They don't say, teacher, can you help us? They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And there is almost this undertone of this comment, right, that if, if, if Jesus isn't panicking with them in the boat, if he isn't joining with them in the midst of their chaos, that somehow they don't feel cared for. Ever been there? I think it's interesting. I think, to be honest with you, at times, even for me, I am addicted to chaos. I like the chaos. Inviting Jesus into the midst of my chaos, guess what it does? seems to do. stops the chaos. It stops the chaos. And so I think that, that there are these moments, right, because Jesus actually does not do chaos very well. Jesus ends chaos when, when he's invited into these stories experiences. I want you to think about that. When we call upon God, whatever format that we take, 
it's on our knees or with our friends or whatever that looks like, how are we doing it? And does it look like we're inviting Jesus into our context of our chaos so that he will calm the chaos? Or so that he'll just be a part of the chaos? I think there's some good questions to be asked around that. In this story, we, Jesus demonstrates his character. He often seems to do that in the stories. And so he, he simply turns to the wind, and it says that Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves by simply saying, quiet, be still. Three words, quiet, be still. And the wind and the seas obeyed. And the wind and the seas obeyed. I said this a couple of minutes ago, but sometimes I think out of fear. Um, we think that getting the answers to our questions will bring the peace that we want. I think sometimes that, that's a legitimate thing to ask. But what is interesting in this story, what is interesting in this story is that the answers to the disciples' question don't get answered and that actually this story produces a different question that they ask that is actually even more scary than the storm that they were in. You hear what I'm saying? They ask a question. They wake Jesus up. He calms the storm, answers the question, don't you even care? <laughs> it produces a different question that they ask that the text actually says is even more scary. You see, the calming of the storm and the text say that then, after calming the storm, did Jesus turn to the disciples and he asks, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have any faith? A statement that was actually no longer referring to the power of the storm, but referring to the power of Jesus. In other words, after Jesus calms the storm and says, be quiet, he turns to the disciples and he asks them a question, and the question that he asks, way more scary than the storm. Because they realize who they're facing. They began to realize the power of God who had been present with them in the boat this whole time. And actually the statement that Jesus makes, the statement that Jesus makes to them, why are you so afraid, do you not still have faith? Is referring to how afraid the disciples were by who is in front of them. It's not a statement that's referring to their fear of the storm. If it is, it's a dual. It could be both. So it's a fascinating part of this story. And their response to Jesus doing all of this, they say this, they were terrified. They were terrified. And asked each other, well, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? call out to Jesus, 
Jesus calms the storm. It actually produces more questions, and the questions it produces are, are actually even more scary. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? As they had walked with him, as they had listened to his teaching, as they had fed people, as they had healed people, as they had obeyed him in all of these things, they grew. That's what was taking place. They grew. The very fact that Jesus was with them sleeping in the boat was a sign of his intention to do the journey with them and with you and I. But it wasn't the answer, and he didn't give the answer to every question that they had. You see, peace was not found in the answer. Peace was found in Christ himself, present with them in their journey and in their boat. This is where they found peace. What do you fear? What do you fear? And if, if, if that isn't easily answered for you, then, then maybe you start with that second question. What am I trying to avoid in life? What questions do our fears stir up in you? What questions do your fears stir up in you? And how might you go about asking Jesus to help you to grow in your trust in him? not just your trust in the answer. How do we do that? How might we lean into the questions so that we can experience him? You see, God is present in the questioning as much as he is in the answer. It is by my experience that people who experience transformation, that like deep, life-changing growth. They're the question askers. They are the people who ask the questions. They are the curious. They are the people that mine for truth and know it when they see it. Remember this, that peace doesn't come in just getting the answer. It does not come in just getting the answer comes in allowing ourselves to be open to seeing and experiencing God in our life and in our story. And as Preston has pointed out, I, one of the things that we talked about often when we first started, even I was, I always said this, when somebody takes you for a coffee and they ask you a question, don't, don't answer the first question. It's never the question that people are asking. Right, Preston? You're here now. I can see you're asking. And it is so true that as we began to ask not just the first question, so when you sit down now with Preston, you know, going forward, or even me, uh, then know that, that when you ask the first question, like, we'll acknowledge the first question, but let's talk about the questions underneath the question. Let's just talk about the authentic things that we're actually asking ourselves. Maybe even asking ourselves, God fallen asleep in the boat? Has he fallen asleep in my life? Is he no longer paying attention to my needs? Does he even care if I drown? These are sometimes the questions underneath the questions. 
God knows. That's where life transformation happens. That's the work that Jesus wants to do in our lives. Ask those deeper questions. What does that look like? Remember that Jesus is present in the boat. That he is committed to the journey. That he is not connected to any pastor. I am not your connection to Jesus. And Preston is not your connection to Jesus. I hope we've proven that in our failures here. Because God has promised to do life with you. To be present in your story. Not so connected to the person that preaches and gets the microphone on Sunday morning, but is connected to your ability or your willingness to ask questions of Jesus and to wait upon Him and to be present with Him and to allow Him into the chaos of your life so that you might remain calm. Amen? Yeah. This has never been a pastor centered church. place where people experience Jesus in their own lives but also in the lives of this community that's what this place is about allow God to be present in the midst of your storms in the midst of your celebrations and you will experience transformation amen let me pray God thank you so much for the gift of your presence here among us thank you so much that you not only demonstrate your love and willingness to be in the boat with us, to do life with us, but also we get these momentary beautiful glimpses of your power so that we might be able to experience and see that you and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. God, I pray, may you continue to be present in this space. May you continue to be present in the people who call Lake Ridge their home. May you continue to be present with us as we go out into our streets and into this city so that our posture may be a posture of healing and compassion and wisdom and love. God, may we serve you in this place so that others may be able to experience the power of your love. Be with us today. stand and receive the benediction. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace and all the questions you ask. Amen? Have a great week, you guys.